Welcome to the Ignite Physio Podcast. This is episode number 12, and I'm your host, Andrew Kopian. Well, we're only a few days away from Christmas and uh, really excited to be spending some time with the family here in the next few days. And uh, I'm also really happy that uh, we've moved out of this deep freeze that uh, overtook much of Alberta. And I know the temperatures are getting down to minus 35, and today I think it's actually a plus two day. So feeling quite balmy and tropical here in Edmonton, Alberta. Today I want to talk about job compensation for physiotherapists. And whether you're a new grad or an internationally educated physiotherapist, you're going to end up having a conversation with an employer about compensation. And I know it's easy to think about compensation as only your salary, but it's so much more than this, and it can definitely include a lot of other variables and benefits and factors that you want to consider. If you're looking at a hospital job, you're going to find that the compensation conversation is going to be a lot simpler. More often than not, the employment environment is unionized and employment pay scales and benefits are standardized. You'll find that your pay is determined by years of experience and your position title. So whether you're a physiotherapist one, physiotherapist two. Now, if you're applying for a job at a private clinic, you're going to find that things are a little more confusing as each clinic employer may approach that conversation around compensation differently. The foundation of the conversation around compensation is really getting that understanding of employee versus contractor relationship. And I'd strongly recommend that you look at the article that we published on Ignite called Employee or Independent Contractor, What Does It Matter for a Physiotherapist? In this article, Albert Nolet, who's a lawyer who specializes in contract law, he goes through the criteria that the CRA has set out and applies that within the physiotherapy context. And we made sure that the article is easily accessible and it's easy to comprehend and really helps you to understand the nuances and issues that you're going to face as it relates to physiotherapy jobs. Getting the difference right between employee and contractor is important because there are tax and legal implications that can negatively impact you if you were audited by the CRA. Our first stop in the compensation conversation is going to be about money. And I wanted to go through a few of the common definitions and concepts as it relates to the money side of the compensation conversation, just so that you have a good basis to start with. So more often than not, if you're working in a private clinic, you're going to get paid a percentage of your total patient revenue that you generated over the past month. So this is often known as a fee split. And that fee split percentage varies by clinic, and you can receive anywhere from 40 to 60% of your billings. So when you start off in practice, you're going to get paid less and over time, you can increase that fee split percentage through additional post-grad courses and years of service. Some employers are going to give you the option of being paid an hourly wage when you start out. This can definitely help to take the stress out of worrying about your billables so that you can focus on your caseload management and just getting used to private practice life. As you get busier, you're going to want to look at that tipping point where your fee split percentage is going to be consistently higher than your hourly rate. And at that point, you may feel more comfortable moving over to that fee split model as opposed to the hourly wage. The next big area is billables versus receivables. And that's really can be quite different by clinic. Now, if you're paid on receivables, you're going to get paid when the clinic receives payment for the services that you provided. So that's not a big deal if it's a private pay patient because the payments are typically immediate. So they pay on their credit card. The clinic gets paid right away. But there are going to be extended health providers or car insurance companies that are going to be taking longer to pay. And that's going to negatively impact your payment. Now, there may also be times when private pay patients fail to pay their invoices 
and they may have to be written off. And this is referred to as bad debt. For motor vehicle accident services in government, there may also be a delay in payment. And uh, it's really the clinic administration that's going to work to reduce that time to receive the money because obviously it's going to impact the clinic cash flow negatively. Now, sometimes these delays are quite minimal, you know, like, for example, 30 days. However, I've heard of instances where motor vehicle claims aren't paid out for many, many months. When you're looking at getting paid by billables versus receivables, it really comes down to risk and who carries that risk. If you're paid on receivables, the clinician is only getting paid when those monies are received by the clinic. If you're paid on billables, the clinic is taking on the risk to ensure that proper accounts receivable management is taking place. One of the things I would do is I would ask some questions around this when you're doing your negotiations. And here's the four questions I would ask. What percentage of your receivables are past 30 days? What processes are in place for minimizing receivable delays? What happens if a patient fails to pay? What collections process is in place? And what percentage of clinic revenues result in bad debt? My personal opinion about this is that I would seriously question being paid on receivables unless you are pursuing a contractor relationship. My belief is that part of the fee split percentage that the clinic is receiving should take care of those receivables. And as a clinician, you have pretty much no control over how those receivables are being handled unless you're providing some accounting duties at the clinic. I would strongly encourage you to negotiate being paid on billables. It's so much easier to review at the end of the month and you'll have a clear picture as to what your income is going to be for that following month. Plus, the other thing you want to do is ask when you will get paid. If it's later in the month, some clinics may provide payment advances, and this is definitely something that you would want to talk to them about during your compensation negotiation. At the beginning of this episode, I alluded to the idea that compensation is more than just the money and salary that you're going to be getting as a physiotherapist. And I want to talk right now about some of the benefits that can make a big difference in terms of your overall compensation package. Now, it's important to remember that the size of the organization you're going to be working with is going to impact the benefits that you'll be able to get. And obviously, smaller clinics are going to have a much harder time uh, providing some of these benefits because they depend on having a large number of employees. So it's definitely something to consider when you are going through that negotiation process. As well, remember that benefits are a benefit of being an employee. And if you're a contractor, you don't get any benefits. So I want to just put that caveat in here as as I'm talking about these different benefits that can be a part of your compensation package, this really only applies if you're an employee of the clinic or organization you're working for. First up is education allowance. Now, some clinics will provide an education allowance. And when you're negotiating your salary, it's definitely beneficial to ask about whether you'll get an education allowance. Some clinics will provide a certain amount over a period of a year and can be applied fully against a course, whereas other clinics are going to provide an allowance where you can pay up to 50% of a course. Now, you may also be able to get some reimbursement for PT-related books or home study courses. I have known that some employers will ask you to pay back a portion of your education allowance if you leave the clinic before a certain set time. Definitely something worthwhile to clarify during your compensation conversation. So a few of the questions that I'd be asking around education allowance would be, what is the process for getting a course reimbursed? What percentage of a course can be reimbursed? And does my education allowance get renewed on a yearly basis? 
Now, some clinics may require that you provide an in-service on the course you've taken. And personally, I think that's a great idea. Uh, it's a way to actually help the knowledge translation process, and it's going to help solidify what you've actually uh, learned in the course. Now, also attending in-services by colleagues, that's going to give you a better idea uh, and understanding of whether that course would be something worthwhile for you to take. Next up is vacation, and this is a big one. Taking holidays is such an important part of recharging your mental, physical, and emotional batteries, and understanding your vacation details is so important. Now again, this is going to be dependent on what your status is as a contractor or an employee. According to the CRA, a contractor is not entitled to vacation. So there's a few questions that I'd be asking around holidays and vacations. For example, what amount of notice do I need to give before going on holidays? How many weeks can I take off consecutively for a holiday? And what is the pecking order for getting time off in high peak times, such as Christmas and or spring break? Now, I've known that some clinics will only allow you to take off one consecutive week of vacation. And this could be a real problem if you're wanting to go for two or three weeks on an extended vacation overseas. As an employee, you're entitled to vacation and vacation pay. And vacation pay does vary by province. So in Alberta, you're entitled to a minimum of two weeks of vacation per year after your first year. And vacation pay is typically paid out on each paycheck at a rate of 4% of your total wages. And you're entitled to 5% after five years of employment. Now, it's important to recognize that those percentages are employment standard minimums. And you can negotiate higher than that with your employer. Next up is the area of disability insurance. And as a physiotherapist, your hands and your rest of your body are important in your ability to work. So simply put, if you're injured, you're more than likely unable to do your work. And disability insurance can definitely be an important element to your professional requirements, just like renewing your college license or malpractice insurance. So disability insurance premiums can vary based on your age, your overall physical health, and other factors. And getting disability insurance as a sole practitioner is going to be more expensive than being part of a group disability plan provided by your employer. It's very likely that a small physiotherapy clinic will be unable to provide disability insurance, while it's more common for the larger national clinics to offer group disability insurance coverage. Here's a few questions that I'd ask around disability insurance. Does the clinic provide disability insurance? And does the clinic provide any insurance premium support, especially if it's something that you have to pay for individually? Next up is your PT licensing and association dues. We all know that it's a regular annual cost to pay for annual licensing and liability insurance. And some clinics will actually offer financial assistance to pay for those annual fees. And again, a couple questions that I'd be asking uh, during a compensation negotiation would be, do you provide any reimbursement for my PT licensing fees? And do you provide any reimbursement for CPA membership and its divisions? Next up, we're talking about extended health benefits. Unless your spouse has extended health benefits, you'll likely be very interested in having extended health benefits as part of your compensation package. Now, extended health plans can provide coverage for dental work, massage, vision care, and uh, medications. What I've noticed is that more and more employers in Canada are moving towards health spending accounts. And those accounts give control to the employee in determining how they're using their health spending dollars. So for example, if you have $1,000 in a health spending account, you can spend all of that, for example, on massage, or you can spend some of it on new glasses, a little on massage, maybe some on the medications that you need. So this is something that you definitely want to talk to uh, the clinic owners about and figure out uh, what kind of extended health benefits they offer. And this can vary very much by clinic setup and also by clinic size. 
Also, it's important to recognize that uh, if they do offer extended health benefits, that there often is a trial period as a new employee, and it can be a trial period of three months before you actually start uh, receiving any extended health benefits. Clinics may also offer their own clinic services at a reduced cost to their employees. Now, this may be helpful uh, depending on the other services that are provided at the clinic. So a few questions that I'd be asking around extended health benefits is what is the trial period before benefits kick in? What is the annual amount to be provided and how does this amount differ between full-time and part-time employees? And are physiotherapy clinic services offered at a discount to employees? Now, the last thing that I'd be looking at in terms of your compensation conversation would be around the topic of mentoring. If you're a new grad or an internationally trained physiotherapist, you'll likely be very interested in the mentoring setup at the clinic. And there are many forms of mentoring that can be offered ranging from one-on-one -on -one time with an experienced therapist to even group journal clubs. And what I would strongly suggest during these conversations is getting the details around what mentoring actually looks like. I think that it's not uncommon for clinicians to hear about mentoring opportunities at a potential workplace, but things to be very different when they actually start working at that location. And so it's really important to get the details. And I'd be asking questions like what mentoring structure is in place? How often will mentoring take place and with whom? How long will mentoring be available for? And is there an additional cost for mentoring, for example, in terms of the orthopedic levels mentoring? We've covered a lot of ground around compensation and the conversation that you should be having with your potential employers. And I do want to take a step back and just highlight the other factors that you should be looking at in terms of your job selection process. So when you're looking for an opportunity, you need to make sure that there's a fit with the following areas. You need to make sure that you have a fit with your skills. Secondly, you want to make sure that there's a fit with the caseload. You want to be treating a patient population that you're actually interested in working with. Third, you want to make sure that the environment that you're working in and the people that you're working with can help to support your growth and development as a professional. And finally, I want to make sure that the income level that you are being offered supports your personal needs. Now, compensation is only one component in choosing the right place to work, but it's definitely an important one. And I'd encourage you to understand the details of your compensation package before signing any employment contracts. And I'd encourage you to get legal advice to help you review your contract before signing so that you avoid any potential issues down the road. And finally, I'd encourage you to get everything in writing around the compensation conversation because there's nothing worse than six months into a position having a disagreement about what was discussed and agreed to during your negotiations. List out those key areas and make sure that this becomes a part of your employment contract with the clinic. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode around compensation and the factors that you should include in your conversation around compensation with potential employers. To find the show notes for this episode, just head over to the Ignite Physio website at ignitephysio.ca forward slash blog to find the podcast. And uh, if you've been enjoying the show, I'd love for you to leave a review on iTunes. This helps other physiotherapists discover the podcast. If you have any questions, topic ideas, or be interested in being a part of the show, let me know by dropping me a line at hello at ignitephysio.ca. Take care.